You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. You undoubtedly remember the pediatrician who back in 2015 revealed that Flint's drinking water was tainted and was poisoning the citizens of that city. Her name is Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha, and she is no stranger to us here at WDET. Her book, What the Eyes Don't See, was our WDET book club pick for last year, and she's been on Detroit Today with us many times. Now she joins us by phone on the show today after testing positive for the coronavirus and struggling through with that illness. Dr. Mona, welcome back to Detroit Today. Stephen, as always, great to be back with you. Yeah, it's great to hear your voice. Uh, so let's start with uh, your current challenge and struggle. Uh, talk about testing positive for coronavirus and tell us how you're feeling and how you're doing. Thank you. Um, so I tested positive about a week ago. Um, however, my symptoms started about three weeks ago. Um, I don't know how I got it, but I'm, I'm thinking it was a, a fateful trip to New York City in um, around March 6th, 8th, but I, I have no idea. It could have been um, from the grocery store or from patient care or, you know, my husband works in Detroit. He could have brought it home. So I have no idea how I got it, but I think it was um, from a trip to New York City, which in retrospect was a, probably a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about 10 days after coming home from that trip, um, developed fever and body aches, um, headache and sore throat, just absolute exhaustion. And I think I was in bed for about two days. And, you know, everybody thinks um, every cough, every sniffle, every sneeze is, is coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I thought that's what I had. Um, and just like everybody else who thinks they have these symptoms, um, you, you go through so much anxiety, you go through guilt about potentially exposing other people, um, and, and you worry about, you know, you know what's going to happen to you. Um, those acute symptoms, kind of that fever and that terrible body aches, resolved by and large after just a couple days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I developed this um, deep, harsh cough. Um, I call it my old man cough. Um, and I have underlying kind of mild asthma. So it just was exacerbating my asthma. So just fits of coughing. It's, it's worse at night. Um, fortunately, um, relieved when I took my albuterol inhaler. Um, and then... Um, within a couple of days after that, um, I lost my my sense of se- smell and taste, and and that was the clincher for me. Um, I had been reading all these reports um, in scientific journals and also in the lay press how that was a symptom of coronavirus, uh, losing your your sense of smell and taste, mm-hmm. and that's what prompted me to to get tested, uh, which then um, not surprisingly came back positive. Uh, I have been doing well since then. Um, I'm just left with that lingering cough, um, and I still can't smell or taste. Um, but you know, my my breathing is better. My fever is gone. Um, I'm definitely on the mend. So one of the things I really would love to have you talk with our <laughs> with our listeners about is the sense of fear that accompanies all of this. I mean, for, for those of us who know people who yeah. have had the virus, for those of us who know people who've died because of the virus, I think there's there's a, a real sense of foreboding about all of this. And and I think people are unsure about the the, the prospect of being able to to survive this if they if they do get it. Can you 
yeah. sort of share with our listeners how that how that played that's, out for you? That's a wonderful question, Stephen. And I every I think all of us are living with this deep sense of fear and dread. And for me in healthcare, you know, constantly interacting with my healthcare colleagues, um, our discussions have been, you know, we all need to update our wills and, you know, guardianship papers for our children. Um, our local neighborhood lister, you know, that next door app, mm-hmm. you know, you usually see like people's requests like, hey, who's got a good electrician or I need someone to do my yard work. Um, the messages that have been coming out even on this neighborhood app are like, hey, I need I need a family lawyer real quick to, to draw up some guardianship papers because I work in healthcare. Um, so there is this overwhelming fear that if you contract this, it is a death sentence. Um, and one of the reasons I did want to share my story um, and go public with my positive test was to um, to share with folks that most people who catch this actually will recover. Most people will have more mild symptoms. It is not a death sentence. Um, but it is hard not to have that fear. You just turn on the news. Um, it is overwhelming those who have died. It, it, it's hitting all of us. Uh, my mom's cousin passed away in a nursing home in Southfield yesterday. My, my dad lost a college friend. Um, you know, so many people that we know in the Metro Detroit community have succumbed to this. Hmm. Uh, you have a family, of course. Uh, talk about how you're navigating the self-isolating part of this uh, with, with them and what that's been like. Yeah, so before my, my symptoms even started, we we went into home isolation. So it's been about, gosh, three weeks that we have not left our bubble, um, our home. Uh, nobody's come in and, and nobody's come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my, my bubble is, is my husband and, and my two daughters. And um, there's a lot of anxiety and also guilt that I may have infected them or that their infection is to come. Uh, every sniffle, every sneeze, every cough, um, it, you know, puts me into anxiety. My heart rate goes up. I'm like, are you okay? Uh, we have a little kind of basket of our kind of coronavirus supplies, which includes a thermometer, um, Tylenol. Um, we also have a pulse oximeter. It's a fingertip. Uh, it's something you put on your fingertip to check your oxygen level. My husband's had this because he's got pretty bad asthma. Um, so we're always checking, you know, everybody's oxygen levels, which is probably too much and OCD. Um, but fortunately, kind of my immediate family who I live with, um, they seem okay, which could be consistent with the news that children do better, even if they get it. Uh, I think my daughter complained once of a, a sore throat and sneezed once, but then that went away. Um, was it that? I don't know. You know, we obviously don't have broad testing, so I have no idea if they were exposed and recovered or if they're about to contract something. Hmm. My guest is Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha. She is a CS Mott Endowed Professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Uh, she is also the person who alerted the world, really, to the crisis, uh, the water crisis that unfolded in Flint over the last uh, five years. Uh, she's also someone who has contracted uh, the coronavirus and is living through it. Uh, we're talking about what that's like. We're talking about sort of how we survive all of this, uh, not just as individuals, but as community, as society. How do we get through uh, a pandemic like nothing we've ever seen in our lifetimes before? Uh, Give us a call if you want to join the conversation. What questions might you have for Dr. Mona? Do you have a medical question about COVID-19? Are you curious about some aspect of her experience with the disease. Uh, also call and just tell us how you're doing. Um, news is showing that the number of deaths in Michigan is beginning to decline. Is that giving you some hope? Uh, 
call and tell us what's going on in your world, though. Uh, what is going on with the people in your family or in your neighborhood or in your community? Give us an idea of what's going on with your business. If you own a small business or if you're employed by a small business, uh, how are things going in this third week now of extreme isolation and uh, physical distancing uh, that we're all uh, indulging. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Brenda in Detroit. Brenda, welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, thanks, uh, Dr. Mona, uh, for just calling in and letting people know kind of how those stages went. Uh, and our family right now, the stages of what we're what they're going through, I don't have it, hopefully, but it's that extreme fatigue and mm-hmm. lack of appetite. What do you do when you are in those stages? Is there anything you could take, or what do you do? All they want to do is just sleep, sleep, sleep. Mm. Yeah. yeah. They're just yeah. worn out. Yeah, yeah that, that's a great question. And um, I think what's different between this infection and other kind of colds and flu I, I may have had in the past is that it, it, it doesn't go away right away. It's not like that 24-hour or 48-hour bug. It, it waxes and wanes. Uh, so you think you're getting better, and then you're like set back with this extreme fatigue, and you think you're getting better, and then a new symptom starts like the cough or something else. Um, and I think we have to listen to our bodies. If, if our bodies are saying we're tired, we should rest. Um, I have slept more during kind of the acute phase of this infection than I, I obviously usually sleep. Um, when I did have um, a fever or those terrible body aches, I, I took Tylenol. I also drank a lot of fluids, a lot of tea. Um, I've, all, I've always been a fan of um, uh, vitamin C. I, I take those airborne kind of gummies that they also taste yummy, um, but they have like vitamin C and zinc and echinacea and selenium. And, and in some studies, those have been shown to improve immune system. Um, so I, you know, I tried to kind of take care of all the symptoms that came up, but, but just like with any, um, any cold or any infection that we get, you know, the basics like fluids, rest, um, if you have a fever, you know, take Tylenol. We're trying to avoid more of the Motrin products, stick with Tylenol, um, these kinds of things. Just, just listen to your body in terms of what it needs. Yeah. Uh, you know, that idea of relief uh, for people who are suffering through this, I mean, the, the, that's another thing that we've heard a lot about here on the show is is that there aren't there isn't a lot of shared knowledge yet I think about how yeah. to 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 feel better if you're yeah. if you're sick with this uh, and and the idea that there are ways to to treat this that that at least make you a little a little more comfortable but but I just keep hearing stories from people about the pain associated with it the, the inability to get comfortable um, uh, it, it really is something different than what than what we're used to to experiencing. Uh, yeah, know, I would totally agree that, you know, the aches, the body aches, when they came on, they were debilitating. Like mm-hmm. I've had aches before in other infections, but um, it felt like every part of my body was hurting. And I could, even if I was laying down in my bed, I couldn't get comfortable. Um, I at one point was resisting taking any kind of Tylenol because I didn't want to um, suppress my fever because I wanted to know if I had a fever. But then I'm like, hey, you know, it's not going to change my course, I might as well make myself as comfortable as, as possible. And I, I took the Tylenol, um, even though it could have, you know, lowered a fever and I wouldn't have known if I had a fever, but that wouldn't have changed if I was going to go to the doctor or not, because I was trying not to go to, you know, any kind of healthcare institution to and stay home. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Um, I, I want to talk to you just a little about the, the pandemic aspect mm-hmm. of this. I mean, you're a physician and mm-hmm. you work in public health. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, 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 the response to this in this country is something that's under a lot of scrutiny right now. And there's a lot of criticism of not just the president, but but the rest of the federal government and and how prepared they were for this, but also their questions about state and local governments uh, and the way that we could have maybe been better prepared for something like this. I wonder what you make of how we're dealing with all of this. Yeah, Stephen, this is is maddening. Um, You know, it didn't have to be this way. Um, These deaths in Michigan could have been largely prevented um, it, it, it breaks my heart that my colleagues in healthcare are going out and, and doing something that they didn't, they're not fully prepared to do because of lack of, um, you know, PPE, the personal protective equipment, um, because our healthcare system is being overwhelmed right now. And it didn't have to be this way. Mm. This is a story very much like the story of Flint, of, of what happens when you have uh, poor leadership, where, where public health is not prioritized, where you've disinvested and, and devalued public health infrastructure, where you have failed to listen to science and scientists. So, so many of the same lessons are coming into play. Um, you know, I think the most telling example is that South Korea and the United States, we both had our first cases on the same day. Mm-hmm. And through widespread testing and contact tracing and isolation, um, you know, they have squashed this pandemic and we have exhibited American exceptionalism and are now leading the world in the number of cases and deaths. And do you expect that the things that we're doing now, the extreme self-isolating, the physical mm-hmm. distancing, the, the lockdowns, the virtual lockdowns in, in, in some states, is that going to work? In other words, Absolutely. is that going to bring the, the numbers down? Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the most important, the most heroic thing anybody can do right now is to stay home. Um, I am so grateful that we have strong leadership in our state with, with Governor Whitmore, who has, you know, taken, you know, very tough decisions, um, but has listened to the science and, and has listened to experts. Um, I wish we would have done things even sooner. For, you know, I wish we had locked down our state even sooner. I wish we had restored people's water sooner in Detroit. You know, I wish we 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 have the potential to be even more strict um, by closing even more businesses, restricting more activity, as was done in China. Um, but I, all of these things absolutely make a difference. And people need to um, respect that and, and continue to stay home and be physically isolated as much as possible to prevent the spread. Mm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Mona. We want to continue to hear from you as well on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. Call and tell us how you're doing through the coronavirus pandemic. What's changed in your world? How are you adapting to those changes? Uh, Stay with us for more Detroit Today. One oh one nine WDET, Detroit's NPR station, celebrating seventy years of radio in Detroit. 
You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, glad you've joined us. My guest is Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha. She is the C.S. Mott Endowed Professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. She is the person you may remember who brought the world's attention to the city of Flint and the condition of the water there after the switch from Detroit water to the Flint River uh, called all of our attention to the fact that there was lead in the water and it was poisoning uh, the people of the city of Flint and especially the children there. Uh, She's also someone who has been uh, living through the coronavirus pandemic with the disease and uh, managing her life uh, the way that uh, so many others are who are sick right now. If you have questions for Dr. Mona about uh, the pandemic, about uh, this this virus and how to deal with it, how to live with it, uh, give us a call, uh, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. I want to go back to a previous caller, Brenda, who says that uh, she didn't get all of her questions in when we had her on before. Brenda, welcome thank, back. Thank you for letting me come back yeah, on. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, and I just wasn't able to finish my question. Uh, with Dr. Mona, I was wondering what does she actually do during that heavy fatigue stage when there's no appetite and you got a bit of coughing going on, do you recommend that people just stay on in bed and sleep and sleep and sleep or get up, move around? Or is there anything particularly you took for the cough, hmm. uh, which is not the worst cough, but still a cough? Yeah. Brenda, yeah. thanks that, again. A, Go ahead. That, that's a great question, Brenda. Um, so I took I took Tylenol when I had kind of my, my fever, my aches. And, and my fever wasn't like a sky-high fever. It was definitely a low-grade fever, as they were reporting. It was about like 99.9 or 100. You know, in medicine, we don't even consider that much of a fever. Um, but that's what's being reported in many cases is this low-grade fever. So when I had that, I took Tylenol. Um, because I have underlying asthma, when I, when I did have um, – uh, a lot of coughing, which which I still do, um, and thank you for being patient with me. Um, I I took my my more of my asthma medicine, my albuterol inhaler, and, and that helped a bit with my coughing. Um, when I started to get more of the congestion that came on a little bit later, um, I took some of those combination like Advil, cold and sinus, or those medicines that also include Tylenol, um, uh, like a Tylenol and a decongestant, and that helped with those symptoms. Um, when I felt tired, I just, I slept. I absolutely slept when I felt tired. Um, and when, um, but, but I didn't, when I had the loss of appetite, um, I made sure I still drank fluids, you know, solid food isn't as important as, as, but more important as fluids. And my, I didn't have as much loss of appetite, but I, I, I absolutely have not been eating as much because I've lost my sense of smell and taste. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I do sometimes feel hungry, but I, I can't taste anything that I'm eating. So that's contributed to a bit of a loss of appetite. Yeah. Yeah. Brenda, again, thanks again for, for calling back. Let's go to Ruby in Ferndale. Ruby, what's on your mind? Are you there, Ruby? I don't know if we have Ruby. Ruby, call us back. Hello, I'm here. I'm here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hi. Um, So far, I have not heard anybody speak about the impact on the massage industry. I've been doing massage for 30 years, Uh and that's shut down. Uh And then I have a question for Dr. Mona. Okay. I was wondering um, what she knows about the possibility of treating COVID-19 with interferon. 
Oh, that's an interesting question. I haven't heard anyone ask that. Uh, is is interferon, which I believe is a drug that that uh, helped a lot with patients who are suffering from HIV, uh, is that something that could help with COVID nineteen? I um, I've been kind of scouring the medical literature of what what folks have been doing. Interferon's an immunologic; it helps support the immune system. Um, I have not seen any reports of, of its use. Um, I don't know if it's being used more maybe in the inpatient acute critical care setting where where some folks who have had the this, this severe cytokine storms where the kind of the whole body reacts and, and um, kind of attacks itself. Maybe it's been used in those situations, but I, I personally have not seen any literature of its use right now. And do you think we've had a lot of debate publicly about treatments for this. We've got the president of the United States acting as though he knows as much as physicians do about experimental drugs. Uh, Is this something that eventually, though, I think is is the thing that's in people's minds, is is this something that will ultimately be treatable? In other words, will we figure out a way to make this either less deadly or less debilitating for people through drugs, the way we've come to deal with other diseases? I absolutely hope so. And it has been so incredible to see the scientific community, the global scientific community, come together and and share information and share what they've learned. There's so much that we do not know. Uh, we don't know what the best treatment is. We, we know we don't know how why people succumb and, and why people don't succumb. And we don't know if uh, how important, you know, different things are. And it has been so incredible to see the scientific community come together and try to answer these questions. Um, so I am hopeful um, that all these brilliant minds will come together and, and find a treatment. We don't have that magic pill right now. There is no cure. There is no antidote. Um, however, just like um, so much in public health, you know, it, we need to focus more on the prevention. Uh, there are some things that medical treatment will, will never fix. We really have to focus more on being proactive and preventative uh, to, to make sure that we don't get to the set spot where we are dependent on, on medications and treatments. Yeah. Uh, again, Ruby, thanks for the call and the questions, and and I'm really sorry about the loss of work that you're dealing with in terms of the massage industry. That's that, of course, is one of the the things that is just absolutely shut down at this point, and I, that I worry is not going to be able to come back uh, the way some other industries will uh, over time, just because of the need for us to continue that that social distancing. So. We hope you are uh, figuring out a way to, to survive financially uh, during this because of that. But thank you very much for the call. Let's go to Joan in Southfield. Joan, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hi. I am curious, doctor, regarding the um, suggestion to use Tylenol, and I'm wondering if how you feel regarding using herbs. Tylenol is, is 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 a synthetic. There is an herb called willow bark that is used for pain and mm. and is similar to Tylenol, is what you're saying, Joan, right? Yeah, uh, Joan, I appreciate the call and the questions, Dr. Mona. Uh, you talked about the aches and pains. Tylenol is that a is that a solution? Are there natural pain relievers that people should be turning to? 
Yeah, I think you know Tylenol is um, is an ancient drug. We've we've studied it for a long time. By and large, it's it's pretty safe. Um, it's also shown to have uh, better a better safety profile in this um, infection than say Motrin. There's been a lot of concerns about the use of, of Motrin. Um, I'm not familiar um, with the herbal medicine that you um, that you mentioned. Uh, I think if something is well studied and, and we know that it is safe, um, then I think it's great that people can um, try it and have benefit. Um, unfortunately, uh, a lot of our natural or herbal supplements um, can also have side effects. Um, so I just want to make sure that we're not using something that may cause more potential harm. Mm. Uh, and I think that's, that's that goes back to some of the, the other medication that has been touted. For example, President Trump, Trump has been, um, you know, really promoting um, chloroquinolone, uh, Plaquenil. Uh, it, it has significant side effects. Um, it has significant cardiac side effects and other side effects. Nothing has um, nothing is completely safe. Uh, so we need to balance all of, of the potential benefits and the risks of, of every medication, be it, uh, you know, synthetic or natural or whatever. Hmm. So, so Dr. Mona, before we end, and we've got about a minute, left, <laughs> I wonder if you can kind of outline what you feel like is the next few weeks for you. Recovery takes a while with this. Do you expect to, to be back at uh, 100%? Yeah sometime soon, or is this a long journey that uh, lies ahead of you? Yeah, I. Um, one of the reasons I got tested, because I want to hurry up and get back to work. Um, <laughs> I want to go back to seeing patients. I want to be um, at the front lines with all of my brave and heroic colleagues who are, are working so hard right now. Um, however, I still have symptoms. I still have the cough. Um, I still can't smell and taste. I don't think anybody knows when you are no longer contagious Mm. um, or when you're no longer infectious. I don't know if it's a couple weeks after having symptoms or one week or three days or seven days. Nobody knows. Um, So I'm going to play it safe. Uh, I'm going to continue to stay home at least for the next couple weeks, Um, not even going, you know, anywhere and staying home. Uh, we are fortunate to have, you know, for things like grocery delivery and wonderful neighbors and different folks who've been who've been helping out. Um, so as something else that I did right after I found out that my test was positive, um, I immediately signed up to donate my plasma. Mm-hmm. Um, so my plasma now has antibodies that have, you know, kicked this coronavirus in the butt. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that I can <laughs> share my COVID fighting antibodies with those who are a lot sicker. Um, this is the con- this is the concept of kind of convalescent plasma. It's been used really for decades, even before we had antibiotics. Um, there's a r- great research coming out now that Michigan State's a part of, uh, where it's you know this plasma is being used to help others. So I'm just hopeful that in my very small way, um, I can help others who are so much sicker and suffering from this. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha. It is always great to talk to you, but especially right now, great to hear your voice and great to hear that you are getting through all of this. Uh, Thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Stephen. All right. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.